my own house. I need a second one of these on the top of my own house with uh, Sylvia Bishop, improviser and children's author. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having Sylvia. me. It's great. Um, uh, author of four and a half books mm-hmm. by your admission. By your description, sorry. Now that we are on air, I will say five books, George. Okay. Uh, five Lovely. books that are equally back. Um, uh, so you are, uh, you are uh, a kid's author by day, by profession, by whatever, and an improviser by sometimes. Yes, very um, accurate. Uh, but you did a huge amount of it coming through um, Oxford, right? With Imps and Two Boston Cabaret and all the... Yeah, I added it up with the Imps once and realised um, that it would be at least, like, at least ten and, and normally more hours of my week every week. And then I remember comparing that to time spent in lectures and reassessing what my university education had been. <laughs> but that's part of the point of university, isn't it? That you're placing yourself in the context so you can try all those things. Sure, no, and I absolutely don't regret it. I don't use my degree. <laughs> <laughs> Which was PPE? Yeah. yeah. Uh, plastic Photography and Electronics. Um, for anyone who is not on the... Uh, hasn't spent a lot of time around Oxford or Cambridge folk. Um, so you're an improviser and a writer. Mm. Um, we're going to talk about sort of improv and writing and the connections or lack of it between the two yes. uh, I want to start with just the very high level question of h- how much are those two things separate identities and skills for you and how much is it all part of being a storyteller an artist a whatever description you'd like to cluster around that mm-hmm. um, I really doubt I would be a writer now if I hadn't improvised um, you're saying that very sort of Cautiously, as if no, that bit I'm confident about. I'm, I'm just you know, I'm worrying three sentences ahead, George. Got to mm. get a worrying in ahead of time. Um, <laughs> I'm confident that I wouldn't have been a writer if I wasn't an improviser. Um, it seems to me fairly obvious that that I learned storytelling skills through improv, and so that is going to have had a big effect. Um, I was much more like overtly and single mindedly an improviser writer for the first year and a bit of um it's after my first book came out and then it was like now you have to come up with some more uh and then i think i've modified that after the the difficulty of the second book and do you want to talk about that modification because uh, your second book is the one that i've read isn't it uh, yes the yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, which i highly recommend if you have kids the appropriate age which is seven or eight something yeah like seven eight nine yeah. that one yeah um thanks uh I'm happy with the end result, although because I was on the inside for making it, I can't unsee that. Um, but it took all year. I had a year and it was done at the last minute. Mm. And that is not viable. Um, <laughs> this is going to be what I do. Uh, <laughs> it's, but isn't that how creativity works? It's like everything happens in the in the last 10% of the time available and you trust that there's something about the unconscious mind that makes that inevitable? I guess I, I can't run a parallel version where I had two months to do that same project. Mm. Um, uh, maybe I should have done that before I went and tried to correct my process just to see what happened, <laughs> but I didn't. Uh, so all I know is that now I can work with inside sort of three months and be more confident I'll produce mm. the thing I want to produce. But that, that's inevitable as you get better at a skill, right? The first time you do it, you muddle through and you hope and you pray and no matter how much you read and talk to people about it, it's going to be difficult. And then the second time is easier and the third time gets easier. And Yeah, I think that's true. But um, I think I was uh, very self-consciously muddling through in that I was taking the attitude that it is more helpful to just find out what happens next than to 
read anything about plot structure and mm. story structure and, and try and find certain beats. Um, was very anti-plotting in advance. Um, so that, yeah, so it was it was muddling through, but very deliberately so. Mm. And that was definitely an improv-informed thing. Uh, and and what you've sort of implied the answer to this question, but what yeah, what changed? What was the modification? Um, I just wrote so many stories that while uh, well, they would have been fun on stage, and that's maybe the distinction we want to talk more about later. Um, they just weren't what I was trying to write, or would or read as too quirky or odd, mm. um, as something you'd sort of premeditatedly done in that genre that had expectations and all of that. So they just uh, couldn't be used. Um, and I, re I guess I feel now that while all the techniques for creativity I learned in improv still have some really specific uses and will always produce a story that will be interesting, um, it won't always produce the story I can put out in that particular medium and there's just not time to discover 20 stories that aren't the right one every time. <laughs> You've got, you got to get it. Um, when you're shifting from doing art for the sake of um, doing art to this is my job and I actually have to turn out a certain number of books per year one or two a year something like that um, <coughs> so next year it'll be three and that's sort of the level at which it becomes um, it, it can be what I do mm. so that's I mean that's with having series and things when you write very young um, you'll quite often do a few in a short space of time with the same character uh, right because kids like that reassuring thing and go oh I know Jenny she does this thing and sure so I should stress to any <laughs> other writers listening that this is sort of the equivalent of one book a year out but um, just to have more book launches which is nice um yes what we say before i started counting books uh i think we're just talking about that um because th the core of what i'm interested in, in talking to you about is this idea of because uh, we've we've known each other for most of a decade i would say yeah, oh, terrifying oh, oh, sounds about right far far too a higher percentage of our lives mm -hmm. and i'm interested in the uh on the one hand, I would never have been a writer if I hadn't been an improviser. Mm. And also, on the other hand, um, I think you use the phrase now, and if not, it was when we were um, eating chickpeas and kale before. Which were delicious. They, they were delicious. I know how to treat a chickpea. Um, th this idea that you had to correct your process, not improve your process, not iterate your process, but there were things which were wrong with your process. Mm. Um, and those two things, I mean, it's not a contradiction, but it's just interesting to have both of those things said so close to each other. Yeah. Um, I think I'm probably emphasising the latter more in this context. Mm. Like if I was chatting to a load of writers who'd never really heard of improv, uh, then that would come through much more strongly as um, right. my identity about how I approach writing. But since we are chatting as improvisers, I'm sort of inclined you to point out what, <laughs> what, I, what I've sort of backed away from. Um, yeah. Mm. So, okay, well, let's, so let's take it right back to the beginning. Um, what what were the skills, attitudes, and ideas that came from improv, which informed your writing, uh, or helped you to identify as a writer, become a writer? Uh, I think it probably divides into two boxes. Um, Everyone loves a categorisation. Yes, we sure do. Um, and in one box, you've got things that are um, truths about how creativity works. Um, and ideas, uh, ideas about how to be spontaneous and not say I don't know what to put um, that are sort of improv 101. And then on the other hand, there are truths about storytelling that I have picked up while doing improv, but that could just as well be taught 
in a creative writing classroom and have often, in fact, come from storytelling books via an improv teacher to me. Because um, I think a lot of the a lot of the improv that you've done or that I know about has been quite narratively influenced. Yes, yeah, I've done a fair bit of long form. Um, so those are things that I would not have come across if I hadn't been improvising, because otherwise I was just like reading form text. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, aren't exclusive to me as an improviser. You know, other writers will have learned them in other contexts. Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess it's, it's sort of the how and the what. Um, it feels like the the what of one of the structures and ideas about storytelling and uh, stakes I know is a thing which you and I have talked about as being uh, something which you had to up your game around when mm. you became a writer mm-hmm. um, but also the how of what are the things that are going on when you sit down with actually a piece of paper and a pen you're not you're not a you're a first draft on paper kind of person yeah, yeah, yeah. is that still the case yeah absolutely um, yeah and I think that's why improv's really strong and has interesting things to say um, because if you dive straight in with learning about sort of structure and theme and using all that sort of stuff well first without having anyone point out to you how actually antithetical that is to getting anything done um (laughs) then (laughs) writer's block is a thing and there's whole books dedicated to how to avoid that and i think that's a problem improvisers have less often Mm -hmm. (laughs) um yeah and and there is i think a thing around improvisers and, and creating uh pre-written work whether it be written with uh, to be read or whether it be a, a show which is improvised or devised or all the kind of variations of how you might get to a show um, that improvisers will there is a some sometimes a sense of taking a little bit too much of the that'll do for what we have now sense it's like you, you make a choice you start doing a thing mm. and it's really important in an improv show to knuckle down keep doing that and make that show happen because as an audience in front of you but as a writer you have the opportunity to redraft and tinker and spend a lot of time making sure you've made the right first couple of choices before you go into that moment mm. of writing it right yeah and it's a difference in how it's received as well because i think a live audience is kind of delighted by realizing you have had to double down on it because you've said it mm. um and sort of the harder work that is for you in a way the more the delight mm-hmm. um, you've got the double story right. of the improvisers and then the story that they're creating yeah. Yeah. whereas if you've written it down in advance it's just like why did you do that <laughs> it becomes a very valid question and I think that's uh, one of the wonderful things about improv is that you get you get to explore what happens when hmm. uh, you, you make those quote unquote odd choices um, because uh, you get rid of all the pre-expectations around what this sort of art form is meant to look like and what a choice means in that context. So you get to do interesting things you wouldn't write down or write as a play. Yeah, because you only have to spend an hour exploring them. Whereas yeah. if you're writing a book, you have to spend three months as a minimum and then, you know, plus a year as the maximum exploring them. And there is a point where you start to go, you know what, I might not have wanted to be in this context. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you... Um, so... I, I, I'm trying to work out how to answer this, ask this question. And I think I'll just say a thing that someone said to me once and then say Sylvia Bishop thoughts okay um uh, uh Chris Mead uh, improviser who we both know very well mm-hmm. who's been on this podcast on a couple of occasions uh he is not a story writer but he writes copy for a whole variety of different contexts mm-hmm. he frequently says uh, writing is just improv sitting down mm. um and I know that's not something you would necessarily ag- agree with in the, all of it but it, it sounds like there's different bits to your writing process and improv is 
I'm now jumping ahead. So we're Christmas. Thoughts? <laughs> um, no, uh, yes. Yes, absolutely, and yes. And actually, I might not disagree with Chris and that um, the actual writing, like writing a page of prose, is it improv sitting down. Um, and I, I find all the same principles apply in terms of just picking something specific at the top of the page and then seeing what comes of it and all of that. Um, it's getting the overall plot choices right where I've become more of a planner. Um, but what I'm still kind of figuring out is where it is most fruitful to leave gaps. And mm. so I'll find out in that bit. Um, I think in terms of what is going to be fun about any given chunk of prose, I've never got anything fruitful from trying to plan that in advance. Mm. Um, that has always been improvised while writing, as it were. And I guess, it, I mean, what else can you do I, I don't believe there's ever been a writer who is in minutiae through some non-improvising process <laughs> planned their piece of writing before they've written it I, I don't quite know what that would mean and, and, and um, maybe as, as someone who is an improvised in terms of their plan around and thinking about it I've got a bit of a everything looks like a nail situation going on mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. what we're talking about is just writing we just I've just decided to call it improvising because that's the the culture we're trying to the whole world at the moment um, do you want to talk a little bit about your about your planning process then, because you mentioned planning on the top of pages. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, I'm not a writer, never have been, um, and I always found the, the planning bit of writing essays and things at university, I wrote a couple of 20,000 word essays, and I found it very challenging to create a plan which was in any way useful <laughs> um, under those contexts, so I wonder, having been able to iterate and correct in quotes, <laughs> your process on a couple of occasions. What does what does a plan for a book look like, or, or what are the what are some of the tools that you use to do that? Yeah, um, I mean, firstly, I have never completely stuck to a plan, so there is there's definitely it's a slight iterative back and forth. Um, things like um, well, I, I didn't even like I didn't know three act structure until I sat down and was like I have to sort this out. Mm. Um, three act structure. There's a book called The Sequence Approach that is came come out of screenwriting and I think generally screenwriters talk much more clearly about plot than novelists and their books are worth looking at um, and also the kind of hero's journey for writers book um, Is that by Campbell? No and I cannot now remember who it is by with apologies um, Don't worry I'll stick a I'll stick that information underneath this podcast the, uh, the hero's journey for writers Amazing yeah. I did plough through Campbell don't especially recommend uh, really? What did you not like? I absolutely loved it. I didn't get anything useful out of it. Sure. But I, yeah. That, I guess. Like, I don't hate it, but I I got nothing useful out of it, so in this context, don't recommend it. I wasn't fascinated by it. Like, it felt fairly repetitive after a while. But that's a, a slightly his point, right? It's a little bit like The Golden Bough, where you read it and you... The point is that the insistence of these tropes and ideas across culture is the is the thing which he is trying to make clear. And I think this is why the Golden Bough is sitting unread on my shelf for so long. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. And if he hadn't done that, then we wouldn't have that um, theory floating around in popular consciousness. It's just I kind of already knew the theory. So the, the book, is, I just think the book's very dull. You already know the central idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, someone had to do it in order to uh, bring that to our attention. Um, Good, uh, so, sorry, no, no, what are you going to say? Uh, it's sort of the because um, I, I did an English degree um, there, there's a startling difference between writing critical appreciation of a work and writing material which is useful to enable you to make more of 
to, to write more stories. Mm, yeah. And I guess I, I hadn't realised that at all when I did an English degree. I expected to, uh, to leave that with some understanding of the process of making stories. Uh, I, I guess it's like the, the coach's job versus the player's job. I would have had no. I, I will shout at a sports game, but I have no idea how to actually do the thing. I can, I can talk about a book in those contexts, but I would have no idea how to actually. That frequent phrase that gets used around writing is you sit down and, <laughs> as if you've been standing up before and finally when you sit down, that's when the real Oh God, I needed to sit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the key to it. Ugh. You just need to sit down. <laughs> One day when I've saved up my first chair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I guess that's what I mean in terms of I'm more aggressively an improviser in most contexts because I think it's so common to go through the learning about story without anyone really talking about how knowing that should relate to your process mm. um, and I, to which I think the answer is like as lightly as possible like you want to get to the point where it is instinctive in the same way that there's some decisions in narrative long form that everyone can kind of sense they need to make mm. and they don't have to have read story theory to know that and I guess the more things you can gradually work into that instinct box um, the more you can still you can feel like you are improvising well, you will be improvising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because you're letting your unconscious mind do the work. Yeah, I know. The Antonio Damasio um, description of instinct as being the accumulation of how you have reasoned before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly, yeah. So it's trying, I guess I feel like I'm in the process of trying to train my unconscious mind to make, if not better decisions, decisions that are more helpful to what I, the task I'm trying to get done. Which, which leads me to another question which is on my... Um, things I wanted to ask which is we talked about this kind of correcting of the process and how you went from being a writer improviser to being a writer with improvisational skills what are the what are the bits of improv which got in your way what were there bits of improv you had to unlearn or learn to ignore or learn to put to one side um I you know I don't I nothing comes to mind I think it it was purely me being a purist about it and not bothering to bring in other skills to complement them and mm. like spend time working out how to make them mix. Um, I can't, I can't think of anything where I've been like, Oh, that was true in improv and is not mm. true in this. Um, so it, it feels like you're saying improvis improvisation is very useful to a subset, subset of the writer's craft. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff, which it's also necessary to learn in order to, to build that. Yeah. To build yeah. The, the super skills. And I don't know if the distinction is even fair or if it's just to do with what I had learned in improv. Cause I know some people go into improv classes and learn like hero journey and, mm. um, oh, that jazz. Uh, so maybe it's not even fair of me to make that distinction. Well, uh, yeah, you, that, that is your, that's your process. That's your experience. That's what we're talking about. So. Sure. <laughs> um, and thus, I wriggle out of any definitive statements on anything. Um, <laughs> and there are there are non just to flag. I realise you're leading the conversation, but there are non plot related things that I have also only come across in improv that are helpful as well. Um, yeah, go for it. In terms of discussions, I'm, I'm of totally comfortable comfortable to be not leading in the slightest. But I'm <laughs> um, cool. Um, there there are. Uh, concepts like status or game um, mm. character game and game of the scene that I've not really come across being talked about in books aimed at writers um, that are super useful uh, at least they're super useful in the kind of genre I'm writing in mm. um, how would you describe the genre of your book? Uh, I've struggled to make it pithy I'm not 
not realist but not magical so sort of fantastical fun adventures mm-hmm. um, hopefully a bit funny but um, without as an improviser would say like selling out the scene yeah and I guess I haven't I've only read, read one of them in the last um, in the last few days which is probably bad I had, as I was saying by the way having uh, dinner before I had this fancy of reading them to my nieces but I don't think that was ever going to happen because it's not like I'm going to be down at my brother's house for <laughs> the days that it would require to kind of read the book to them um, but those <laughs> my, my war and peace that's <laughs> how I'm known <laughs> old, old doorstep bishop um, is what they call you there is a sense of uh, in the bookshop girl it's not it's not a recognisable reality there are a few things which are I think borderline physically impossible yes in that book yes. but it's also it's not the witch's territory it's not actual magic yeah, yeah. It's, it, it feels a bit steampunky to me we're like we're stretching the definition of technology, or we're stretching the abilities of technology, but I don't care about it that much because it's internal of the system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, uh, that's what I'm, that's what I'm going for. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, um, and I, it's a really unhelpful comparison because it sounds so grandiose. But when people don't know kids it, and I'm trying to explain the age and the feel, like Roald Dahl is quite a useful mm-hmm. go-to, and obviously he has some books that are magical, but he also has some that aren't, and some that are, m- are magical, but like like Matilda, it is magic, but it's not fantasy is there actual magic in Matilda she can move remember. things with her mind oh that's right yeah, yeah um, but it's sort of implied that's an, an overspill of how smart she is and not having an outlet and you know it's um, so it, yeah uh, he's so quite that, that, that is magical realism really yeah but magical realism has a whole bunch of annoying associations <laughs> And everyone comes up with so many terms to not be. I like magical realism. Anyway, uh, so that yeah, that is a genre comparison that's well known. Yeah, and, and I think Roald Dahl is a really because we um, you were saying before that when you when you arrive to a, a library to do a, a reading or an event or something, people are expecting someone significantly older than yeah. you because there there is something about you, your your voices are like that which is very it's very classical. It has those little amusing turns of phrases and those little very British things which doesn't feel which feels classical in a really nice way I was, well thank you um, I was brought up on really old fashioned children's books mm. um, I had a lot of hand me downs all the kind of go to authors I named um, were not contemporary when I was reading them uh, you want to name a few more apart from Roald Dahl um, oh god so much Enid Blyton which I really regret <laughs> also because um, of the race stuff just because it wasn't like I could have been reading so much more mind-expanding things when I read like the dubious morality of Mallory Towers over and over again. Also, I now really resent her because my surname is Bishop and I am between Beast Quest and Blyton, and it's like, oh, right. uh, there's a hand gesture I do to describe this that won't be much use on this podcast, but I am squeezed very much in the middle. Um, For now, you are but young. Sure, bring <clears> it on. Uh, we should also stress that the other part of me. It, it being assumed I'll be old is the fact my name is Sylvia just in case anyone missed the double, oh, yeah, the double whammy yeah, of um, confusion but, uh, and I think the um, I don't want to say this without doing spoilers uh, I mean unless there are any you know, <laughs> nieces any. and nephews listening at home <laughs> well, it, it's, a, it, it's a lovely book and I highly recommend it whatever you age um, there is something there's a couple of things in, in the bookshop girl where I had immediate uh, expectations of where the story was going to go which was not what happened and it felt and from what we said before it's not necessarily a conscious thing but it 
it felt like there was a deliberate use of use of my expectations as I was reading it to then playfully do something else, which felt to me very improvisational. That mm-hmm. very common thing where you improvise a scene with a recognisable character or situation. We know what a proposal should look like. We know what a, a priest should sound like. And it's a very common improvisational trope to take those things and subvert them to add another, another element. You know, the famous exercise entitled Clingy Priest. Clingy is not something that you would expect a priest to be. And, you know, those, those, stere- those stereotypical story tropes, it feels like you play with those in a way which... Um, it feels very improvisational because I guess... People now are so genre and narrative aware that you can do that almost consciously. People are almost going to know what stereotypes you're playing off. Mm-hmm. But from when we talked about this before, that seems to be not a thing you're consciously doing. Or did I misread that? Um, would you be able to give me an example? I'm not sure I. Yeah, sure. I mean, the the, the obvious example for me is the uh, at the start of the bookshop there, or in chapter two or three, uh, there is a big draw, um, as in like lottery style draw. Um, that people can enter to become the owner of this amazing magical bookshop emporium, Mr. What's his name? Montgomery? Yes. Montgomery's emporium. And as soon as that happened, I thought, oh, the last chapter of this book is going to be when they finally get given the bookshop. And there's going to be this whole, ch- there's going to, this is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And I absolutely love Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I'll, I'll read that book 10 times, let alone the other books, which are variations <laughs> on it. Um, and immediately in the next chapter, I think, uh, that lottery is won by the, the, the little family who own this little bookshop. And that felt very playful in response, uh, play, playful in relationship to expected tropes of that kind of kid story. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I can think of quite a specific reason I do that, and I'm not sure if it's part of a more general. Like, I'm not aware of knowing about narrative improvising yet. Uh, it's not a conscious thing. But mm. I believe it was a very oh. good improv director called Jules Munns who told me that if we all know what the interesting thing that's got to happen is, then we should just do it now. And that um, particularly came up with us doing impromptu Shakespeare where it is so often the case that somebody needs to get married or die um, and you kind of know who they are by scene two. And we were doing a lot of shows in rehearsal that were just sort of prodding towards the inevitable and trying to throw spanners in the works uh, that didn't need to be there just to put it off a bit longer. Um, and you were like, do the interesting thing now. I don't remember whether that was in my mind with that chapter of the bookshop doll, but it's something I think about all the time when I'm stuck with plot. I, um, I just, I, I should say that I, I, I got that from Babe Wants Candy and Al Sanders and all those guys. So this, is, I take no credit for it apart from knowing when to uh, pass on the right bit. Because <laughs> it is a really, uh, I do have the memory of kids' books hedging and bridging and putting off the, mm. the famous bit so do the famous bit do the famous bit yeah and I get um, reviews will often say things like fast paced or um, yeah. full of twists and turns or unexpected and I think that probably does come from yeah from that very particular piece of advice just being like there'll be more interesting stuff if you just pretend not I now feel like it. I've set <laughs> I've set you up to throw it back to me no just no no <laughs> No, Jules, we all believe that was completely organic. It's fine. (laughs) 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 Disclaimer, it was not a setup. He's looking very sad on his chair. I I think I've actually gone slightly red. Um, (laughs) So you don't improvise a huge amount 
anymore. You do them across your Shakespeare and the occasional kind of line-up gig. You do criminal sometimes and you do stuff like that, right? Yeah, and Pete Blossom Cabaret. And Pete Blossom Cabaret, of course. Um, what's it like going going back to it, having gone through this, corrected your process? What's the experience of going back to the uncorrected, <laughs> the uncorrected mm. Sylvia, which I hope was your Oscar episode? <laughs> Um, lovely. Uh, I think it's dominated by the skills that I um, am losing because I don't exercise them as much. Mm. That's what I'm aware of. If by, by, when by noticing, oh, this is not as easy as it used to be. Yeah, and it's it's kind of not things to do with the fact that I write. It's things to do with the fact that I don't improvise. So it's stuff mm. like um, uh, sort of characters and and uh, I'm quite a heady improviser and letting myself be sort of physical and silly and it was that kind of muscle that I'm just not working as much so I'm so aware of that you see yourself I'm not... as a heady improviser yeah that's so interesting um we'll, we'll come back to that uh, <laughs> I dropped <laughs> my pad on sure the floor a second ago I'm not sure that's of any particularly general interest um, but yeah so I don't I don't have anything to report about a writing improv cross over there really because mm. it's dominated by just not improvising as much as I used to what that's like well we miss you (laughs) (laughs) I think with the heady thing I guess there's a there's a question about what one means when one says heady heady is often used as a way of um, as a a way of disapproving of improvisers who are more structured or game focused or uh, less tolerant of things going in organic, strange ways. And I actually, if, if I was asked to describe you as an improviser in one word, I think I would probably go for silly. Yeah. Because uh, like, there, there's a very intelligent silliness to the way you play. You're very good at um, taking a single idea and taking it to its kind of, uh, what's what's the, there's a Latin term which is used in philosophy, isn't there? Um, yeah. um. Uh, reductio. Taking it to the, mm. the like, Taking it as far as it can go so the idea breaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that doesn't feel heady to me, although I guess it is cerebral. And cerebral probably is just the Latin word for heady. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure, but I believe the accepted translation. Um, yeah, uh, thank you. I, I'm very pleased not to be thought of as heady. That's very nice. Um, yeah, I think I just mean that, like, you know, the physical. I'm not a trained actor. Um, you know, a lot of early improvising was beating me out of pacing up and down the whole time and teaching me how to stand any way other than how I stand, you know, so... Man, those are boring improv rehearsals, aren't they? Yeah. Stand and face the front. I don't want to do that. I want to play scene. But I feel like me self-flagellating and examining me as an improviser is not, um, oh, there's not the, the thing. There's no, uh, um, what's the word? There's no agenda to this. There's no... Uh, beats that we have to hit for this. Um, uh, what is the plot? <laughs> what is the Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Are uh, we in the inmost cave yet? How do I tell? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've gone way past the inmost cave. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think we're in Act 3. Oh. I think we're in Act 3. All I, right. I, I, this, is the, uh, this is the question I ask everyone who's on this um, podcast, which may... I'm going to give you two possible versions of this. Okay. Um, normally, because normally I'm speaking to uh, improvisers, for whom that is their primary identity, and I think primarily you're a writer who does improv sometimes, mm-hmm. and who used to do it a lot more. Um, and I, <clears throat> excuse me, I will ask them, what in your improv are you trying to improve at the moment? Mm. I will give you the option to answer that as in your improv, in your writing, or in your storytelling, which unites mm. both of them, uh, as as you wish. 
good question. Um, yeah, and maybe you don't, it's like saying what's your favourite thing X, that's really hard. You don't have to find the one true definitive thing, just a thing which you are working on or thinking about is, is what I mean rather than... Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm, when I've handed in this current project, I want to try and write a slightly older book, sort of up to 13 to 16 year olds. Mm. What's um, the oldest you've written for so far? Um, and 11. Mm -hmm. 12 year olds might read it, but you know, that's the... Um, that feels like a very different market. It's, it's, it's funny with children's writers, you know, someone will say, so your book's for like eight year olds. They'll be like, well, seven. And um, we're sort of obsessed with those little yeah, developmental yeah. differences. Although obviously it's hugely variable from child to child. But anyway, um, but yeah, it does feel... When, when you get into there, it's like puberty, right? Sure. It feels really different. Um, and I think that is highlighting uh, the limited range of my time and that one of the hardest things for me is a sort of psychologically compelling world for the main character. Mm. Um, I think my books fly a lot on just the fun uh, and I can make them psychologically convincing enough. There's an awful lot of people's like stomach clenching and um, heart beating and all of that because I don't really know how to describe them when they're not in dialogue <laughs> or action. Um, and I think that's going to become, both those things are going to need a lot of improvement to write a compelling young adult book. So that, mm -hmm. um, and, and maybe that's it? something where I feel improv, um, uh, where I haven't got stuff I can draw on in my improv experience as much. Um, oh, sorry, explain what you mean. Because uh, that was a big sigh. <laughs> <laughs> because the stuff I explored how to do well on stage with making decisions about like event events and fun, mm. um, neither of which have a bearing on. And those questions, which made the kind of improv I've done. I've not done like slow burn emotional improv. Mm. Um, but even then, you're seeing it from the outside via the decisions things that and behaviours. Rather than the stuff's going ahead. And people always say, don't have characters, don't say decide, don't say realise in improv uh -huh, because uh -huh. you can't see that happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's a side of writing I struggle with. Mm. Um, uh, I'm going to ask one more question uh, just to kind of to wrap us up, which is. Imaginary improviser listening to this podcast is thinking, man, I, I've always wanted to write stories, uh, wh whether that be, no, let's keep it to, to text-based stories or novels or, or short stories and, or something like that rather than plays. Mm -hmm. uh, what's the one book that you'd recommend people reading or um, resource you'd recommend them accessing? Because I'm, I'm guessing there must be a load of podcasts and blogs and stuff around this as well. I'm sure there's a million. Hmm. You mentioned a couple earlier, but yeah, I did. Um, I guess if you feel you'd like help with plotting, then the couple that I mentioned are the the ones I would go for mm. the sequence approach, and I forget what it's called, but Hero's Journey for Writers. Um, I think it's almost called that, isn't it? Uh, it might well be. Yeah, it's a, yeah. a writer's guide or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, something like that. Um, and honestly, I think everything else that. I've got out of improv, I've got in the rehearsal room, things like games and status. I mean, Keith Johnson writes about them mm. perfectly well. <laughs> um, I'm sure every improviser's got that on their shelf. Uh, and I think being aware that, that that is kind of your superpower as someone improv trained, I'm still applying very much in my writing. Um, mm. I think I, I read, I, you so often read people working on things that are structurally good 
and they can turn a good sentence, but you're like, right, it's just not fun. <laughs> it's not quite fun. Mm. Um, and I think things about status and, and game, even if you're not going for funny, could be a really good way into working out how to give that in a bit of a lift. Um, which is, is not answering your question, but it is what I have to say to improvisers who want to write yeah, stories. It's, um, it's interesting because you're sort of... It's a nice reminder to improvisers that if you've got that skill and you've spent those more hours working on that than on your, the degree part of your degree, mm -hmm. you don't want to delete and ignore and get rid of that when you start writing. You want to take all of those. You want to add, like, like you were saying earlier, there's nothing I was, I'm deleting from improv. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just adding a bunch of other skills. Um, in the nursery, I often talk about the... Um, uh, the aircraft carrier and the fleet around the aircraft carrier. The aircraft carrier is really uh, vulnerable by itself, mm -hmm. um, but if you put the right fleet around it, it's incredibly strong. So you need both things. The fleet isn't the thing, the aircraft carrier isn't the thing, it's the relationship between that, um, mm -hmm. that kind of network and community. And that's a very interesting, the way that you're describing improv as going into writing is hmm, very inspiring. Sylvia Bishop, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much, Jules Lund. Um, would you like to, uh, I'll put, I'll just put links to all of your books rather than having you list them all now. Sounds good. Um, you have a website or something people? I do. I recently paid to no longer be .weebly.com, <laughs> but do not go to sylviabishop.com unless you're interested in dog training, which, you know, I'm sure is also great. Um, sylviabishopbooks.com. Uh, I, I guess Sylvia Bishop is... Uh, not as unusual a name as Jules Lund because I'm just always my name on everything ah. that no one has ever had my name before me yeah no there's a very famous dog trainer and also a Canadian politician really? um, it's the hello to them <laughs> <laughs> you're googling yourselves and yeah. I found this and I've yeah. got this far uh -huh. um, I see you I google myself and find you so <laughs> I have across digital space I am fascinated by the idea that there are famous dog trainers um, thank you so much for your time. As ever, you can find all of our stuff at thenurserytheatre.com.